Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of Leadership Amplified. I'm Dr. Karen Morley, and I'm delighted to bring you another podcast episode profiling leaders who are great role models and who inspire us to continue to be curious about what good leadership is. My guest for this episode is Grant Enders, who's the CEO of 3D Meditech, an exciting startup. Grant's passion is achieving customer-centric outcomes. He has a proven ability to identify areas for improvement, develop strategies, and then lead the drive for change. Grant's employment with major local and multinational organisations such as Coles and Excel Logistics in Australia and Asia provided him with significant experience across both physical and digital retailing, supply chain management, procurement and manufacturing. 3D Meditech is a startup focused on developing and commercialising patient-matched medical devices at scale, leveraging advanced manufacturing. It was the first Australian company to develop and patent swaps for testing COVID, resulting in multiple contracts with the Federal Department of Health, Department of Health and Human Services, Victoria, and New South Wales Health. Welcome, Grant. Thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Karen. Great to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. So really interested to hear your leadership story um, and a bit more about 3D Meditech as well. So tell us, Grant, how how did you come to be CEO of this organisation? What's your leadership story? What are some of the key experiences that have led you to where you are today? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, great to be here. Um, yeah, it's been a, an interesting journey. Uh, while I haven't worked for a lot of organisations, uh, I have worked some, for some very diverse organisations, and that's probably... The sum of all of those things have led me to where I am today. And so, you know, if I think back, you know, my first job after uni was with an American manufacturer. And, uh, you know, I spent 10 years with them, uh, five years here and five years in Malaysia. So they mm -hmm. took me overseas and I was able to uh, to experience working overseas as an expat. And then I, uh, I joined an English publicly listed company uh, as the country director uh, in Thailand, of all places, and uh, had a, an organisation of 1,500 people. Uh, we, uh, we were the supply chain management company for people like Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Nestle, uh, and we did a number of air freight and sea freight business with Hewitt-Packard, et cetera. So, you know, we were offering services in country for multinational organisations. So I, mm. I was there for almost four years leading that organisation in Thailand. I came home with two small children, and uh, <laughs> uh, thought it was... Uh, life had changed. Life had changed very significantly. And so, you know, with two small children in uh, a country like Thailand, no, no family around us, we decided it was time to come home. And I joined Coles of all organisations. So I spent 13 years at Coles in a variety of roles. Uh, the great thing about Coles was, uh, you know, while well, it was 13 years, it was sort of nine different roles across that journey and right. two different owners. So yeah. in that gave us plenty of diversity. And then, uh, you know, it finished at Coles and I was thinking about what was, what was next 
on, on the things that I wanted to do. So having worked for a number of multinationals and then a, an Australian icon, you know, I said, actually, I want to try and build a brand and build something from scratch. And mm. I was fortunate enough to, to get the opportunity here at 3D Meditech uh, to run this organisation. So I've been here for, you know, two and a half years now. Right, that's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about some of those different experiences and, and how you developed your leadership style and your leadership focus. Um, you know, working in different kinds of organisations in different countries, sounds like some variation, significant variation in the size of those um, companies or the parts that you were responsible for. So, you know, what, what's, what's, what was your kind of, uh, the key lessons, the people you learned from or the experiences you had that helped you think about you as a leader? Um, given, you know, an American company, an English company, Thai company mm. uh, and, uh, you know, an Australian company, um, it was really interesting on that journey, understanding the leadership styles. And, you know, you don't appreciate why you're in the middle of it. And especially coming out of uni, you know, you are certainly wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and, and you sort of soak up anything in front of you. And, you know, working for that American company, you know, this was an organisation that, uh, you know, uh, was, was great in as much as it gave you significant opportunity, but it was very much around sink or swim. So they didn't right. put a lot of protection around you and it was very old-school management. Okay, son, off you go. I was a management uh, graduate and uh, on their management program and so they would give you opportunities in the areas and they just see if you could survive or not so it's certainly in a very short space of time built resilience around your ability to get into something build relationships and then deliver um, the, a lot of the management I worked in manufacturing so I was working on the manufacturing floor in particular areas um, and uh it really allowed me to build my own leadership style. And, and even as a, a, a young graduate, uh, it became obvious that, you know, if you're going to get cut through with people who've been in this business for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, actually, then you really needed to work out what your leadership style was. And mm -hmm. uh, I suppose the one thing for me was just being myself. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I didn't have experience that I could say, I've, you know, I've learned and been able to use my experience to make change I was really just using the knowledge I had as a young engineer to try and make change based on that and so you know it was just about being authentic and being uh, and being true to yourself and trying to understand what the important things were for the team around you such that you could drive change to improve their their lot um, so that was yeah. with the American company you know given it was a sink or swim environment really just trying to find opportunities quickly yeah. So what do you think, though, was, I mean, how did you decide to kind of be yourself and to take that authentic path, that that whole sink or swim scenario? Um, you know, people do sink. So you swam. What was it that, you know, did you recognise that that was the, the context at the time and you deliberately thought about how you needed to survive or was it a bit more, you know, intuitive and you look back on it and you can see, well, this is what I did? Um, I don't think you realise at the time. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, when you go into a new organisation, especially when you're, you know, you're, you're 22, 23 years old, uh, really don't have a lot of world experience. Um, so it's it's on in hindsight that you realise these things. Um, mm. 
but I think that part about being true to yourself was important because, as I said, you know, I was given the opportunity to run a department um, and it was, there were five people in that department. We were manufacturing a, a widget and um, uh, we had an afternoon shift. I ran the day shift and we had an afternoon shift. Um, and I was trying to introduce something called self-directed teams, you know, because I actually didn't know the technology and what would needed to be done. There were lots of people around me who had far more experience in it than, than myself. So I introduced a thing called self, uh, self-directed teams. Um, trying to Did get you make that up? No. Time, no did I, you make that up? No, no, I pinched it from somewhere else. Okay. And, <laughs> uh, and I introduced it on day shift and then uh, I got promoted to run both day and afternoon shift. So mm. I had to go and convince a, a group of uh, individuals who'd been together, you know, for eight years on afternoon shift. And so it was a very, you know, it was a kingdom mm. unto themselves. It was almost like, yeah. uh, it's almost like Western Australia. It's a bit of a hermit kingdom. And um, so they uh, uh, really, again, just getting them to understand and how, how they control um, and improve their own lot rather than me telling them was sort of uh, something that I pushed pretty hard because I, I didn't have that experience. They, they had the experience. They knew what worked and what didn't. How could some little kid come and tell me what was needed to, uh, to change and improve? So, so I think that was finding ideas out there and bringing them to yeah. bear and seeing if they worked. And the great thing about that organisation was that they let you fail. Okay, so that sounds like some really good kind of judgment around reading the situation, understanding what's going on, and then thinking about how you can respond within your own, I guess, capability levels and limits. So how did you take that forward into the future roles and, and end up, you know, you obviously had um, a significant trajectory, different countries, much larger workforces. How did you take those principles forward? Um, I think it was, um, if you think about when I got moved overseas, I went to Malaysia for five years. Um, Mm. You know, that was a culture that had three different ethnic backgrounds. There were the Chinese, the Malays and the Indians. And and again, you know, there was a a respect that needed to be brought to the table around how do I get the most out of three different, um, three different ways of approaching the same problem. And so, you know, well, four, yeah, bringing overlaying, I suppose, you know, Anglo-American view. Um, Yeah, that again, you know, uh, this was running a factory. It was the first of its type in Asia owned by this American organisation. It got a Mm. lot of visibility from America. And so, you know, we would have the president from America visit us and that sort of thing. So it was a really high profile um, manufacturing site, the first that they owned in Asia. Um, But, you know, from a leadership point of view, it was the same thing. I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, the one thing I suppose, again, in hindsight, you know, that taking on that infinite learning element, always listening and trying to understand what is going to work in the situation and being aware of the situation and what works best. Um, And and the underlying thing there is the ability to listen. Mm. You know, don't think that you always have the knowledge. Actually listen to what's going on around you because when you listen and you really listen, you'll get the ideas and you'll get input on what needs to be done and then you just shape it according to the outputs that you want to get. So so I think there is quite, you know, 
being again, I was 26, oh, no, sorry, I was 28 going overseas, you know, mm. a big move and being given the control of a manufacturing facility in Malaysia. And it was just leveraging though, those skills, I suppose I'd learned in the first five years out there, nothing really uh, new other than some basic rules about listening and being an infinite learner. Mm. Terrific. Okay, and did you have anyone there who was, you know, the, the guide, even if a somewhat sort of critical one and you could only fail once um, right. or make the same mistake once, um, or was it very much go it alone? Uh, no, so I was lucky enough. Um, so there was an Australian who ran the overall all, uh, manufacturing facility. I ran one section mm -hmm. of it. Um, mm -hmm. So we knew each other. He'd, he'd been with the company 50 years. So he'd been a veteran of the organisation. Uh, he knew me. He was very understanding and supportive. Um, but then mm -hmm. we had a, an American come in and uh, he was a micromanager. And, um, you know, uh, what I learnt from working for him for a number of years was uh, I never want to be a micromanager. It mm. was just, uh, it was an unpleasant experience when you're trying to grow a business to have someone who, you know, wanted to know everything that you were doing and micromanage you um, was not an experience and therefore it's something that I've tried to steer away from. So that was a major learning experience around that's not the manager, that's not the leader that I wanted to be. So, yeah. so. Such a common experience, isn't it? Um, and yet there are still micromanagers, so we haven't quite cracked that nut, I think. Yeah. Um, I, absolutely. But, you know, there is an element, I think, around knowing the details. So, you know, when does it need mm. to be inch wide, mile deep? And when does it need to be an inch deep, a mile wide? I think mm. as a leader, you have to be able to uh, differentiate around when do you need to what role do you need to play in those situations? Because there are times that you do need to go down and ask the five whys to get to the right answer. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was Malaysia. Um, other key sort of experiences, really hallmark experiences that stand out, the stories that you kind of relate to some of your, your um, team um, or particular leaders that you've learned from? Um, yeah, well, I mean, um, I was also fortunate enough with this American company. Um, they sent uh, sent 13 of us on a two-year post-grad in management, around, and it was centred around um, uh, systems thinking. And so Peter Senge's five disciplines, you know, some Warren Bennis leadership models, you know, manager versus leaders. So they actually gave you some foundation to take with you. And I thought that was, you know, while they... Well, they didn't espouse it. They certainly wanted to make sure that the next level of management or, you know, coming through the organisation would mm. bring change in the organisation. And that was really, you know, that was pivotal because that really opened yeah. my mind to, okay, there is a different way here. And it gave me an opportunity to test and learn um, different ways of leading people. And they were, you know, to be fair, uh, they recognised that there were shortfalls in the way they were managing people. They wanted to do it better moving forward. So that was a real pivotal moment. It wasn't a person, mm. but it was a process that, you know, allowed me to grow. And it really unlocked my interest in leadership and just mm. that, oh, how do people do it? You know, how, what, what is a leader? What does it mean? Uh, you know, I was never the kid who was the picked the first picket of a football team or a basketball team or anything like that. So I had to work out what did it mean over time. 
and uh, that was that was a really good foundation. So, you know, I was able to take those it's huge, yes, through, absolutely huge. Mm. Yeah, through my career, and and you know, if you think in Thailand, you know, I was a country manager. I had a uh, my boss was in Singapore, so uh, he fluctuated between Malaysia, between Thailand and Singapore. So again, I was given a lot of autonomy in that role, and mm. he was very much around. You know, actually, you're the country director. You know, it's your country. It's your as long as you're delivering, we don't need to have the conversation. When you stop delivering, we'll need to have the conversation. So again, it was pretty, you know, pretty black and white. There was not a lot of ambiguity mm. with him. Um, so you know, um, there were a lot of conversations. It was a growing business, and you know, it was a little. Uh, we had an interesting local partner uh, in the business. And so, you know, I learned again in Thailand was around respect for the local um, component and how do I get the most out of a community of, you know, predominantly Buddhists and trying to understand that Buddhist culture within the Thai way of doing things. So um, I, I learned that I was probably too respectful and not, uh, not clear enough on what I needed to do or the outputs that I required. So there was a real What learning. does that mean? What does that mean? Well, in Thailand, you know, unfortunately, you know, as the country director and being an expat, you know, you were held on high. Mm -hmm. There was not a lot of challenge coming from your team. What you said was taken as, you know, as gospels. And mm. therefore, um, you know, you had to be very careful of believing yourself too much and wasn't really the right thing to do in the context of you know the direction of the business so mm. um, and when I say I was too respectful I was too respectful of you know rather than being probably I needed to be a little bit be a lot clearer on the direction we were taking being clearer on the milestones and being clearer on how do we stop and review how we've gone against those milestones and if we're not hitting the plan what are the things that we need to do to play catch up or change the plan. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I, they were the takeaways from, you know, from my three, almost four years in Thailand leading that organisation. Yeah, terrific. And so let, let's kind of wind up the kind of potted tour through your career with Coles and kind of a key lesson from being at Coles where you were for 13 years. Um, and I mean, at a time of significant change in the organisation, as you alluded to earlier. Yeah, a significant change. So I started, um, you know, before Coles was in play, I went through the sale of Maya uh, and then uh, West Farmers bought Coles. So significant, significant change through that organisation. And um, so, uh, you know, he was an organisation, an Aussie icon uh, who was very successful, um, but had started to find that the competition was overtaking them. Um, and running a supermarket is very much around command and control. You know, 100,000 people need to be walking in the same direction and doing the same thing across 700 different sites at the same time every day to ensure great customer um, experiences. So um, a very, very different organisation and, and a very political organisation. And, and, and it was very difficult to find how you fit it into an, such a large, large organisation. And, mm. you know, um, so really early on, I had a, I was very lucky. I had a, um, I, I worked in supply chain and we had an English guy running supply chain and he was very much around um, uh, providing ongoing feedback to you as an individual, 
mm. one to one. So he almost over-indexed in positive feedback as well as balancing it with clear opportunities where you need to improve. And so I was quite lucky to be part of that transformation in supply chain. And then obviously when, you know, West Farmers bought, you know, there's a new influx of leaders. So the managing director, all of that leadership team started again. And um, I was lucky enough to um, be introduced to the deputy chairman. And I spent a week being his, uh, being his gopher really. And, uh, but it allowed me to um, see what they were aspiring to do mm. with polls. And it included, you know, being with the, uh, with the CEO of West Farmers at that time, the managing director of West Farmers at that time. And it gave you a very different perspective on why they bought the business and what they wanted to achieve with that ownership. And then you had people who, the MD who was running that, who was very much around command and control and was very much around um, my way or the highway and was uncompromising from a customer point of view. And so what I really learned from the, the new management team in Coles was focus on the customer. And if you focus on the customer, everything else will take care of itself and be unrelenting in that. And so, you know, from that, from where Coles was to where, you know, when I left it, it was one thing that was consistent was around focusing on the customer. And that's something that's still kept with me now. If, uh, and, and that comes to your leadership, you know, start with understanding the customer and then working back and understanding how you can, whatever you do, is it supporting what the customer needs? And it's not to say mm. that the customer's always right. but Yeah, yeah you've got to understand yeah. the customer. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So that brings us to the present day um, here at 3D Meditech. Uh, so tell us just a bit about what the organisation does. It's a startup. It sounds like it's got all sorts of interesting things going on. And uh, certainly in the context of COVID, it's doing some great work. Uh, yes. So um, 3D Meditech uh, was started by uh, a Melbourne individual and a gentleman from Israel. They happened to be at Harvard together doing their AMP. And they said, you know, one of them was an expert in 3D printing. The other one was an entrepreneur. And they said, well, how, do, how can I leverage 3D printing to make medical devices at scale? And so they collectively started this company called 3D Meditech. Uh, and so the idea and the purpose of that business has always been designing and then commercialising patient-matched medical devices that can be produced at scale using advanced manufacturing. And one of the first products they had, they came up with was a helmet for babies with plagiocephaly or brachiocephaly, which is flathead syndrome, where we scan the baby's head and then 3D print the helmet um, because it had previously been done by putting plaster casts on a baby's head and then yeah. trying to wrap plastic around it. It was a horrible process. So how mm. do we use advanced manufacturing to do that? And then we went into clear aligners and because that's the largest use, use of 3D printers globally is actually right. clear aligners. So it was a logical extension. There were no Australian mm. companies. So again, mm. we want to be the first Australian company. Um, when COVID hit, uh, you know, I got the management team in on one Sunday, you know, March 22nd. Uh, 2020 and we said we've got all this great capability we've got a great team how can we work out what we can do with our infrastructure to support the fight against COVID and so we came up with 
you know, we came up with a nasal pharyngeal swab for testing COVID. Um, mm. We worked with Harvard and Stanford and some 3D printing experts in uh, the US and they gave us a design. We then went to the University of Melbourne that we have a relationship with. We then went to the Doherty Institute and, you know, we had this tripartite agreement and uh, focus on designing a nasal pharyngeal swab using 3D printing because we could believe we could fulfill any shortfall that the government might have when it comes to fulfilling orders for those swabs. So in 176 days, you know, we took an idea and we delivered our first uh, COVID test kit into the national stockpile for the Department of Health. So we got TGA approval, we designed it, we went out and tested it with Royal Melbourne Hospital and with the Doherty Institute. We did all the efficacy. We went to the TGA, they signed it off, and then we manufactured and delivered. So, you know, um, it goes a little bit to one of our values, and our values is that we are pragmatic and we're inquisitive, yeah. and mm-hmm. we brought those two things to bear. And yeah, uh, absolutely. A real relief. So, you know, and when, then we designed a saliva swab. So. If you've had the test, it can be quite invasive. Uh, so we we said, actually, is there a different way of doing this? And again, with the Doherty Institute, we designed a saliva swab. So, you know, that's being used in hotel quarantine, airport workers. The tennis players who came to the Australian Open were, were using our saliva swab. They got tested every day. Um, and that's mm-hmm. continued to be a, a, a product that we've sold both into uh, DHHS in Victoria and New South Wales Health and a number of other governments around uh, around yeah. Australia. Yeah, excellent. Great success story. And it's unfortunately, it's a, it's a continuing market, not that we expected it to be quite that uh, back last year. So uh, well done. So tell us about your leadership in all of this. You, you said that part of the reason for taking on this role was the um, opportunity to create a brand. Um, and there are certainly some differences in the, the previous roles you've had. So as well as, you know, it brings together a lot of your experiences. So, you know, who's Grant the leader at 3D Meditech? Oh, okay. Uh, so it, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, uh, the business had you know been around for a couple of years when I came in. Um, we were just starting the journey to commercialise. You know, the clear aligners and the helmets. Um, so we're really in that scale up phase. So you know, mm-hmm. Grant, the leader at that time, was really getting in and understanding uh, the business end to end and understanding the processes that we had. So I did spend a lot of time really getting to understand the product and the business and the markets that we operated in. And so that was a little bit of that inch wide mile deep coming out. And so Mm -hmm. again, you know, listening, you know, I really needed to listen to what was the team trying to achieve here. We have very supportive shareholders, very supportive shareholders. And so, you know, they were very supportive in as much as, okay, you know, we really want to grow these, these products. How are we going to do it? And they invested in both the team and time to allow us to control our destiny to a certain degree. And, and what did that mean for me? Well, you know, my role was to come in and it was really for four key things. You know, I needed to provide clarity for the team. You know, this was a team when you're in a startup, you know, mm. 
it's just, okay, let's look here, let's look there. What do we, you know, there's a thousand balls in the air. Actually, you know, if we're going to commercialize this and we're going to be successful, you actually need to rationalize some of that thought. So my first role was to really, once I'd understood the business, was to provide clarity to the team. And what did that mean? That meant, you know, understanding what our true north was, understanding how we go, what did we need to do to start the journey to get there? And then, you know, understand what the goals were and what the deliverables were in a, on a timeline so that we can hold ourselves to account. And then I really played the role of removing roadblocks to allow the team to get there and generate energy. So, you know, generate energy and clarity for the team, which meant, you know, giving them the resources, agreeing the priorities, you know, and then holding people to account to deliver. And so, and the last was, you know, delivering and celebrating. So we've done a lot of celebration on the things on the journey. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that, that, they were the four key things that I did when I came into the business. And so now we're in another phase. So we've gone from that sort of scale-up phase. We're focusing mm. in on growth. And when I talk, yeah. you know, we are talking about how do we double and double our business in a relatively short space of time with a real clear goal to um, what we want to do with this business in two years. Um, now you've gone into another, another uh, phase, which is around actually updating the capability, bringing a new set of capability and you and allowing them to deliver because you're improving the overall capability of the organisation, now empowering them to get done what they need to get done because they've, they're very clear on what the outputs and the goals are. Fantastic. And we were talking earlier, you, you mentioned um, that in your workforce, there were around 17 different nationalities and that, you know, they were kind of latent. People were just doing their thing um, in the organisation. But more recently, you've started to, you know, work out how you get value from all of, um, you know, the diversity uh, that 17 nationalities brings. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the genesis of the organisation was a, a, a guy from Melbourne and a guy from Israel. And when they first started the business, they bought subject matter experts in from Israel, from America. Um, and so the genesis of the organisation was already built on diversity. Um, yeah. When it landed here in Australia, we started obviously recruiting some Australians. But as we grew, you know, we started understanding that, as, you know, medical devices, patient match medical devices, at advanced manufacturing, is not necessarily the skill set in Australia to be able to do that. So, you know, we had to bring in... Um, individuals and skills that weren't necessarily recognized as well. So for instance, you know, we have a Brazilian orthodontist on our team. We, our sales team, half of them are actually foreign trained dentists. Uh, Mm. We have um, a New Zealand uh, IT expert who is uh, phenomenal at software development because there's no rule book and there's no book on how do you start an aligner company or how do you start a company to manufacture helmets for babies with plagiocephaly. Um, so we really needed to bring diverse people into the organisation to start saying, well, how do we get the most out of this? Uh, because there is, there's no clear defined you know, roadmap of what you need to do. And that's just growing. As we've built, as you've seen the, um, the skill set that we've needed, we've bought it in. And it's surprising when you start, when you start looking for um, different skill sets, 
and they're not available here in Australia, they might not be, they are actually available here in Australia. Their skill might not be recognised here in Australia. So yeah. actually, we're really lucky that we've been able to tap into people who uh, have the right skill set, but they're just not recognised here in Australia mm. for it. And so that just became a self-fulfilling prophecy almost because, you know, someone knew someone who knew someone, oh, yeah, he, he knows how to do that. And lo and behold, you know, he is, uh, you know, we've got, we've got people on the floor at the moment who, uh, who are trained, who've got masters in engineering and they're doing manual labor jobs for us because they can't get jobs in their particular skill set and degree. But you know what? We're using that knowledge to improve our processes, to improve our output. So we always look for opportunities to bring in skills that might not be recognized in Australia, but are actually here. And it's, it's certainly helped our growth over. Other people have. And there is so much untapped capability out there. Like you, you just have to start looking. Now, of course, there's, there is a risk, right? That when the, you know, when the opportunities come, potentially they're flight risk. Of course, of course, of course. But you know what? The value of just having them in the organisation for the period they're here and mm. giving them the opportunity to actually do more than what they're employed to do. Actually, we've we found on the whole that they're happy to continue in their role because they do see an opportunity to grow the business. So we had one individual, you know, who, who was a master's in engineering, came in as a production operator, uh, cleaning swabs of all things, helping us print and then clean the swab. You know, he's going to be our next uh, production team leader. Mm -hmm. So just from, you know, what his, uh, his learnings and his input into the overall process, uh, he's going to get recognised for that. Um, so some, we've got some really good um, success stories within the business whereby we've been, we've brought in skills and we've been able to give them the opportunity they need to grow. Yeah. And it's a win-win for you uh, and, and for them. And they get a sense of being respected for the talents and skills they have. Um, and that gives them a sense of belonging. And then, you know, when they're contributing to the product, that you create, yeah, you know, that just creates that sense of relationship with the organisation. Absolutely, it was uh, it was interesting the other week. Uh, we we got the first feedback from one of our team members who was tested using one of our swabs in the market. So our swabs had gone into the national stockpile for which is run by the Department of Health rather than the state governments. Um, so they've started to release them into the states because of de demand, unfortunately. Well, this person came in. Oh, I got tested with our 3D Meditech swab. And we all got around and we asked about it. How did it perform? What did you think? Blah, blah, blah. And just the pride from the team around, oh, our product is being used. It's out there. And the positive feedback about it was just great. And it really brought the whole team uh, to the fore when it came to lots of way. So as we finish up the conversation, Grant, I'm just interested in having um, hearing from you around the sort of le leadership lessons that you might like to pass on to, you know, younger leaders or, or people at different stages in their career who are really reflecting on their own leadership and their leadership journey um, and or any other bits and pieces of information that you would like to share before we finish up. Oh, thank you. It's... Um... You know, 
leadership lessons, you know, they change as your career progresses. And, you know, and, and some you have to actually experience because you can't teach them. So, you know, again, I go back to that infinite learner mindset. You know, you've mm. really got to want to learn. Yeah. And, and the more you can take that on and look for the opportunities to learn and understand, it, it, I, I really believe now that that is um, a leadership lesson. If you can have that embedded in everything you do, then it's going to help your overall growth. And, you know, you just talked about purpose being amplified during COVID. I, I would suggest that during COVID, we've all had to be learners because, again, there's been no rule book on how to deal with COVID. You know, mm. we, you and I were talking around, you know, we've got a sales team and sales people want to have that connection. COVID, and given in the dental industry in particular and with our orthotists, you know, they haven't been allowed to have that personal connection. So they've had to learn around how do I build connections virtually remotely? And so, you know, going back to that, we could have shut the doors and said, oh gosh, we're never, you know, the business is going to fall over. Or we say to ourselves, let's look at this differently. Let's think differently around how we can form connection with our, with our dentists. Yeah. Um, and so if we, again, just with that infinite mindset of learning, you know, that allowed us to uh, certainly um, look for the opportunities around us, despite you know doors getting shut in front of us. So, so that's that's for me the one thing I would you know highly highly recommend to people just to have and have that mindset. We talked about listening. You know, mm. uh, yeah. Stephen Chavi always talks about seek first to understand before being understood, and it's mm. so true. Like it is just so true. It's so easy too. Like it is so easy. But the challenge is just how to listen. So, mm. so that, that that's a really important one for me. Um, the other one is just being clear on what you're trying to achieve. You know, if you can articulate simply what you want to get done, and you know, some call it purpose, some call it goals, some call it their true north. You know, um, if you can mm. articulate that clearly, and people can understand it you'll get buy-in a lot quicker and you'll be able to talk a common language around, is that moving us towards that? So, so clarity of purpose is important. Um, early on, I talked about being authentic. You know, yeah. when you're a young, you know, engineer in, a, in an environment where you're dealing with people who've had 30 years experience around you, you, you just got to be yourself, you know, mm. because they'll see through you really quickly if you're trying to be someone you're not. So just be mm. authentic yourself um the other one and you know i'm a bit of a fan of ben crow i don't know he's he's uh, ash barty's mindset coach and steph gilmore's and the australian cricket team he's got lots of great people um he, he talks about control of controllables you know he, he don't focus on the outcome control those things that oh, sorry focus on those things that you can control so what are the tasks and the processes that you need to do that are within your control and guess what? The outcomes, they'll, they'll come, right? Because yeah. you've already been clear on what you're trying to achieve. These are the inputs and these are the things you control. There's no point worrying about things that you can't control. Our, our sales mm. team, I'll go back to that one. You know, yeah. what, guys, 
you can't control whether a dentist is going to be open or closed. You can't control that. That's, that's beyond your control. But what can you control? You can control how you're going to be there for them during what is a really difficult time. So are you going to do it via Zoom? Are you going to do it via weekly emails? How are you going to stay connected? They're the things that are in your control. So, so we spoke, you know, I, I, that's, a, that's another one. And then um, just look for the opportunities to build on trust. You can't do it all yourself. You know, build trust with your team and then empower them to get on with the job. So, so they're probably, you know, they're probably a handful of things. And when, mm. yeah, when you're in earlier on in your career, there's probably the last one is around learn to live with ambiguity. Yeah. It's not always black and white. And even though you might think you know what's right, actually, life's full of it. So mm. then learn to live with it and decipher what's going to help you or what's not going to help you. Yeah. Well, those sound like a lot of words of wisdom there, Grant. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having the conversation with you today. Uh, really interesting times. And it's been really fascinating to hear about 3D Meditech and, you know, the, the evolution of the organisation. I think it's an interesting one that we can continue to watch out for. Um, I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, really interesting innovations and discoveries and and wonderful to hear about your leadership um the journey you've been on and how that's really just coming together at 3d meditech and wish you all the very best for the future thank you very much for being on the show karen thank you and congratulations to you for you and your podcast and for uh, learning to uh, work with the adversity that now is COVID and how to reach out <laughs> and continue to communicate with people. It's been fantastic. So Absolutely. thank you for that. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Grant. Bye.